Well, hello, friends. It's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair, and I am so excited to see you today. We at the Pink Chair invite presence, inspire purpose, and ignite passion into the hearts of everyone across the world with God's love. And today, friends, I have a real special guest that's been in our studio before, and he's here today in person, Pastor Matt Olin from Anthem Community Church. Pastor Matt, it's so good to say that, by the way, because you're a pastor now, which is so cool um, to have you here today, because we're going to talk about something that's so important to our social media, to our world, to our church, to everyday life. And I have a very special question that I think a lot of people want to know. Why is it so difficult to talk about porn in the church? Well, porn in the church is uh, the issue with porn. The biggest controlling factor of porn is the shame. And that's across any sin. There is, there is shame in that. So, but porn specifically just really attaches that to you. And it's, and it's this, this really weird thing because porn in society says that porn is completely natural and everyone's doing it. But at the same time, it says, but you're the only weirdo that's doing it. You're the only freak that's doing it this much or that's looking at this sort of stuff. So although it's supposedly accepted across culture, it simultaneously makes you feel more isolated than ever because you're just dealing with that shame. And especially within a church where you should be sinless, or that's the idea that, right. that most people have, is that, oh, I should be completely without sin as soon as I step through those church doors. And that's just not the case. Um, that shame walks with you and, and you have this, this isolation and this, this shame that's just binding you. And you think so many of the, the, the men and women I talk to that deal with porn addiction, that, that attend church, that are Christians, they struggle with that because they're like, if, if people only knew, mm -hmm. they would not want me here. They, right. They'd kick me out. And so it's this idea that everyone hates you because of this thing that's just so evil and so disgusting, and you're the only one that does it. And that's the, that's the lie that we believe. Right. Now, I have a, a great theological question. Hmm. Now that you're a pastor, which is so cool, and congratulations, by the way. Um, Well-deserved, by the way, because of what you've done with your life and how you're now ministering to people um, with porn addiction. But what would have happened with Jesus in John 8 with the woman in adultery had the man that did the adultery with her, potentially maybe he was a person that was a porn addict, which how could you be a porn addict back in, you know, 2000 years ago? But it's possible because they had statues and they had like carvings and paintings. And, and it's all the same right. sexual sin. Yeah. So what would have happened had the man been brought also to the middle of the stage where she was presented to the crowd? Well, I think it, very similar to, to what happens today. Um, 
if somebody is exposed in, in this day and age, and we hear so many very unfortunate stories about pastors being exposed for some sort of sexual sin, uh, porn, porn addiction or strip clubs or uh, prostitution, whatever it is. Um, and they come and there's this simultaneous like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that so-and-so would be like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, so many of the people in the crowd are saying, I hope nobody asks me about that because they know that they're dealing with the same thing. So uh, Jesus's response is still the, the same response uh, that we should have today. He who is without sin, go ahead and cast this first stone. If you think that you don't deal with this, the only difference between somebody being caught in adultery and somebody in adultery is just that caught. The, the person in the crowd is still dealing with that. Um, the person who attends church who's still struggling with porn isn't any different than the person who's been caught with porn. The only difference is they've been caught. Yes. But there's, that, there's still that tie. There's still that bind. There's still that shame. There's still all of that that's keeping them captive and a slave to that. Um, actually, a person who's caught in adultery is actually in a far better place than the person still in the crowd shaming and uh, thinking that's, you know, that's, that's bad for them. I hope nobody asks about me. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're in this fear state you're constantly thinking any moment now, someone's going to go into my emails. Someone's going to go into my junk mail. Someone's going to go and say, oh, I have to confiscate your computer or your phone and see what you've really been looking at. I mean, that even though back then there was no social media, there was always someone that was willing to probably snitch or tell on someone, mm -hmm. you know, and then maybe there was someone getting drunk in a bar somewhere in Jesus's time saying, oh, I slept with these three women, even though, ha ha ha, I'm married and I've got four kids. And um, the other thing I was going to ask was, you know, I, I just wonder why people think, why people think porn is such a terrible sin or that it's so gross and disgusting because I think they might relate it to dishonesty possibly. And maybe is it possible disloyalty? Well, the sexual sin is is one of those. Uh, it it destroys you at a different level. Um, not to say it's it's worse than alcoholism or, or drug addiction or anything like. Each one gambling has its own. They're they're right. all incredibly destructive, and they are not what God has designed. And sometimes us for. they're all being done at the same time. And 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 yeah, and that's that's mm -hmm. very typical too. Yeah. And that's usually when you're trying to fix one addiction, you're just doing another one right. to, to feed the pain of not being able to tack, tackle the other one. But the sexual sin brings us down to, you know, at a, at a very core level, God is talking and he uses marriage as the example of two becoming one. When you, when you share yourself with another person, and that's a, that's a lie that we can believe in. Porn is like, oh, I'm not really sharing myself with another person. We're just using each other. <laughs> it, yeah. And it's, yeah. oh, it's fine. They, they want to do it or There's whatever. There's no relationship. There's anyway. no relationship. Yeah. However, we're still lusting after that mm -hmm, person. Mm -hmm. Jesus brings that out. I say to you, you know, it, it's, it's wrong if you've committed adultery, but I'm saying if you've even, if you've even lusted after another person. So Jesus is even bringing that up to the uh, the next level. If you're lusting, you are tying yourself to that person. You are you are where two one become one as God has designed and as a reflection of his relationship with us. God doesn't want to share us with anyone else. He doesn't want us to share ourselves with anyone else. Uh, so every time we we bind ourselves to another person, a little piece of us breaks away. Mm -hmm. We come we become less whole. We're not 
we were designed to for two to become one, to be bonded and, and monogamous, uh, much like our relationship okay. with God. Correct. So, so that's the... When we do that, when we lust, and the problem with porn is that because it's so easy, it's not just a, an affair. It's not just, I don't, say, I don't mean to say just because an affair is terrible, but you know, it's where I'm just having an affair with one other person. With porn, I'm having an affair with 50, 100, mm-hmm. 1,000 mm-hmm. individuals. It's, it's your I'm idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's really uh, important to note that. Uh, People don't need to be afraid, I think, to admit, you know, like having like a, a like a confession group of sexual sin, even though I know that maybe walking into, let's say, a church or let's say someone's home. How do you think that would look like? Would someone show up if you had a small group? So uh, that would be a great question to ask you. Have you done that before? Yes, I, I have. And it's, and it's interesting because there is that fear. I, who's going to see me? Who's going to see me? If I go first, if I expose myself, is everyone else going to run out of the room or are they going to ask me to leave? There's that fear. But in the reality, and what I've, what I've seen time after time after time is when somebody has the courage to go first to say, hey, I struggle with this. Does anyone else, or even if you're not asking, you're just coming clean. You're just like, guys, I need you to pray for me. I'm mm-hmm, dealing with mm-hmm. this. I can't seem to get past it. I, I really need some accountability. I need some prayer, uh, all of that. The defenses of everyone else in the group come down. The intimacy level of the group skyrockets because yeah. now you have guys come forward saying, oh my gosh, me too. I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not to that degree, I still know what that feels like. I still know what that struggle feels like. Right. Um, there's guys who struggle with porn and versus guys who have um, long-term affairs. And women, or, right? Yeah, with and, and women. Mm-hmm. Women that struggle with that too. And that's even more more of a struggle for the women too, because even going back to what we talked about earlier, how there's this cultural acceptance of you know, all men look at porn. Well, that's not really where women are. That's not where it is with women. So the shame that guys feel, even it being as culturally acceptable as it is today, women don't even have that. So now they feel even more freaks because they're like, oh, well, we have I'm to not really hide. We have to really, really hide, hide it. And, so. and you know, when you were saying about how you're watching 50 different people or 100 different people, and then, and, and of course, my background is prostitution into trafficking, sex trafficking, and having little pieces taken every time I slept with someone for money or whatever else that was. And people wonder why people lose their mind and actually have mental instability because biblically it says to become one. So if we're doing that with thousands of people, you know, I was actually trying to calculate that yesterday uh, with one of my friends in my office that I work at, how many people have I been with in my life through the work that I used to do, be in traffic, which it sounds funny because it's work, but it's not work because it's mm-hmm. slavery, right? Um, that how am I whole now? And here's the answer, right? Jesus. Yes. And that's the only reason why I'm here, sane and in my body and talking to you right now, sitting on this show. And I want to ask you, and this is where I'm kind of segueing into, Matt, how are you whole? Because listen, there's a story behind why you are a pastor 
and why you minister to men that are addicted to porn. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, I mean, this this is, porn was my story. Uh, I, I found porn at a young age. And what um, age was that? First grade, I believe oh, it was. Oh, so, so you were six, six seven, years old? something like that. Was it so, a magazine? Mm-hmm, yeah, okay. tip, typical. I mean, so many, so many people I talk to, it's... Uh, very similar. Oh, so-and-so's older brother had a magazine or they got a magazine from their dad. And um, so that's where it started. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it certainly took off when I chose to pursue it um, and dove in and, and was uh, just drowning in a in a porn addiction for over 10 years and thinking about how many times, how many women had I lusted after mm-hmm over the internet is immeasurable. I, I, I can't even but think about that. But that wasn't even right away though, because you were six years old with the magazine. So Correct. when did the internet start? Uh, high school, I think that's when, that's when modems really kicked off and the right. internet started. And so I remember in high school starting to get more and more into that. And then you know, the, the easier, the faster the internet got, the Did faster you have any friends that were doing that? Oh yes. Okay, so guys, you guys would kind of talk about it on the down low oh, sometimes. Oh no, not at all. Oh, not no. at all, but then... We knew we did it, but no one oh. wanted to talk about it. It's Are that, you serious? It's that shame. It's that we wow. all knew that we were doing it, but no one was really going to talk about it. Maybe it might come up, maybe with the right person, or if you're getting drunk together or something like that, something might come out or slip or whatever. But uh, in general, you don't talk about it because yeah. you're ashamed of it. You admit to it like, ha ha, yeah, 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 we, we look at porn, but you're not actually going to talk about how many hours did I spend in front of my computer? Wow. How many hours did I waste? Yeah. How many times did I miss going to a family event or or stay stay late working uh, because of the addiction? So there's yeah. you don't talk about those things. Yeah. How, how did porn play any dysfunction in your marriage? Like you got married and your wife's a wonderful person. I know her personally. She works with us at our agency. Um, when you got married, did she know about that issue at all? No, I would assume that she would probably assume that that was something because again, they, I didn't know that it was an addiction at that point. Um, it was just something that every guy does. Um, but once it got to the point where I was hiding it, it was kind of like, Hey, if you do like, Let's talk about it or let me know about it. Very young in our marriage, very early in our walk with Christ, not not super committed. Did you on guys commit levels. to Christ together as a couple before you got married or or during your marriage? No, uh, we, we had both as, as children committed to Christ, but not fully understanding what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that entail? Right. Um, not till later, not till older. And honestly, through the addiction and getting caught in the addiction um, after having, I got caught once early on and swore I'd never do it again, meant it. How, how did you get that. busted? <laughs> She found a DVD collection okay. of mine. I had, oh, where I had, was that at? In a bag somewhere that I... She, I so did. she just opened it up and was like, what is this? Now, they were moving stuff in the room and they, they found it because I thought I was clever. They? And, yeah, her sister too. Oh, goodness. So did, Good and, fun. Good fun. <laughs> what, I mean, what did that look like? Did she come to you with the bag and go, what is this? Oh, yes. And what did you... like? What, what was your like... Well, I denied it. 
uh, how did that get there? Oh, I forgot I had that. You know, I played it off yeah. in every which way I could. But she, of course, saw through all of that and uh, basically came down to, and you mentioned the trust level. It does. It destroys the trust because yes. if you're lying about that, what else are you and lying it's about? that much of a, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, alcohol doesn't have anything to do with her, but sexual sin, that, that affects somebody else's feeling of, of worth, or it can if, yes, if they let it. absolutely. So it destroys the trust, it devo- uh, destroys the, the sense of self-worth and value in a marriage, all of that. And so we're like, okay, well, that, this is clearly not going to work. Um, we're going to get a divorce. And, and this was early on in our marriage. Uh, we sought counseling. We went and talked to a pastor, um, kind of worked through were some Were you guys things. going to church at the time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Were you guys intimately involved at your church at the time? No. Okay, so you guys were kind of like, we, come when we feel we like attend, it was good. Or? We believe all the stuff. And you, and you have children. You have a boy and a girl. We do have a boy and a girl. Yeah. We only had our son at the time. Yep. Uh, he was he was little. Um, and and he, he graduated now, so he's a he's becoming gradu- a man. He's graduating this year, yeah. yes. And he's Oh sorry, he's, not yet. He's going he to He <laughs> reminds us of how much of a man he is. So. Oh goodness. Yeah. So um so you guys were just kind of lightly involved Light, at your church, just lightly involved, lightly involved in our in our walk with Christ, and so still lots of growth, lots of stuff to figure out along the way, but good intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we started off and we reconciled and we. What worked happened on to it. those DVDs? Those got trashed or shredded. Okay. Did they get like trashed. burned or? No, I think we actually snapped all of them in half, so okay. no one could ever watch them again. Okay. Yeah. Did you? No, I did not hang on. To that. No, I was just wondering when you did that. Was that like a, a kind of like a peacemaker for you and her, to try to like say, hey, this is done and this is it. Yes, although I'll I'll be honest, at the time it felt like saying goodbye to a good friend. It felt oh, like breaking up with a girlfriend. Yeah. No way. It was it was not. Wow. It did not feel good. And that's okay. the, that's the whole. That that's really interesting. You. Okay. Now there. Okay. This sounds like a bond. Oh, yeah. Even though there wasn't a name, it was a bunch of names. And so it was probably a bunch of faces, but then actually maybe not even that. Was it a bond of your private time? And your, uh, I gotta say this the right way, your um, place where you can relax and you can just kind of let loose and be yourself. Well, more than does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes, more, more, more so than that. Those, those are elements. More so than that, that was my sense of comfort. And when you talk about how how can I become whole now? That's really the journey, and it and it took time, and it took getting caught and then being sober for a, a while and then just jumping back into it. Oh, because it, it's like an addict, right? So, well, it's an addict. And so that, but it comes down to, well, well, why? Because if I got caught, if I saw the destruction on my wife's face, if I faced the, the, the threat of divorce and life getting crushed, if I faced day after day, struggling with thoughts of suicide, why would I want to go back to that? Why would anyone want to go back to that? And that's the that's the issue that people have in 
in recovery and, sure. and, and struggling with addiction is, why do I keep doing this? Why right. do I keep doing this? And they want to stop the behavior, but they're not actually focusing on why yeah. am I doing it in the first place? So you said which it's is like, comfort. yeah, the comfort, the saying goodbye to an old friend. What friend were you saying goodbye to? Because was this a friend from six years old when it started? Was it maybe a reminder of your childhood? Well, it, um, not, not necessarily that. And, but it, but it does in a way, it does go back to because childhood. Because this, this is right now, I feel like right now people are watching and they're listening and they're like, he's saying what I can't say. Mm -hmm. Talk about this, Matt. We have to talk mm -hmm. about this. Break down this friend you're saying yeah. goodbye to. So the, this friend, and it does go back to childhood, but in, in a specific way, the comfort that porn offered me, the, the lie that I bought with porn, well, and the and the and the the comfort that I thought it was bringing me was that I was wanted, that yes. I was accepted. There you go. Porn wouldn't reject me. Okay. Porn wouldn't say no. Porn made me feel uh, loved. Porn porn made me feel powerful. All of these things. If I go back to childhood, and I don't mean to say that it I made had you a feel attractive too. Like I made me feel attractive. Yeah. So these are the things. These are the lies that I believe about myself, that I had believed about myself, that porn seemingly fixed. It didn't, but seemingly fixed. I felt that I was unwanted. I didn't feel worthy of somebody's love. I never felt attractive. I um, thought I, I, I didn't want to deal with rejection. I dealt with rejection growing up, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. asked girls out and got rejected um all so it of, just reminds you of that all of those things well yeah. porn porn says oh, all, You're not of, all of that's bad i'll, I'll fix you yeah. I'll, fi I'll fix you but it just it doesn't actually solve anything it doesn't actually uh heal anything or fill anything yeah. because scripture says that god is the god of all comfort right which means he has a monopoly on it which right. means nothing porn addiction tv video games Whatever it is, whatever it is, shopping, extreme sh sports, whatever it is in our lives that we are turning to for comfort can't actually comfort us. So where I was, I was still seeking the comfort. I'm having the wrong conversations with God because I, I know that it's wrong. I know that it's destroying me. I know that it's bringing me near death. Mm -hmm. It's it's destroying my wife. So I'm telling God, God, if you could just help me to stop doing this. Help me to stop sinning. Well, as a Christian, my sins are already forgiven. God's like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about your pain. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about why you're seeking comfort. Because we've been designed for comfort. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with seeking comfort it, because it, that's what we've been designed for. Part of for. comfort is peace, too. Like when I think of comfort, I think of I feel peaceful and I can like rest and I can close my eyes and there's like no anxiety, no worries. Comfort is it's it's a big it's a big word. Mm -hmm for being a human being. I mean, we need comfort. Well, like, we've been designed for it. We exactly. were designed for paradise. Yeah. It, it, we sinned, sin entered into the world. And so we are constantly trying to get back to that comfort and, and we're seeking it in all the wrong places. And God's like, I've made a way. Right. You are designed for comfort. I am the God of all comfort. I want to give you that. You got to come to me for the comfort. Don't come to me for sin management. That's not what God's interested in talking about. He's interested in that's comforting good. us. Say that again, sin management. He's not interested in sin management. If that's all we're hoping to gain from a relationship with God, we are missing it. Jesus did not say, I came to give you sobriety. That's 
That's great, but that is tip, tip <laughs> hey, of the dude, iceberg. Hey, dude, I came to give you sobriety. I came to give you life and life <laughs> yeah. to the full. That's mm -hmm. beyond sobriety. That's beyond recovery. That's peace. That's the peace you're talking and, about, and peace in every circumstance. Like you say, life, because life is all the way life, not just life on this earth in our physical bodies, but life eternal. Eternal. Like it's never going to end. It's going to mm -hmm. last forever. When you were saying comfort earlier, I was picturing a little baby because there's been so many documented cases of children being in their cribs, not being held and how their personality and their soul grows up with this emptiness mm -hmm. and this they actually turn into mental, like mental disparities happen to these children where they sometimes become psychotic. Some of them become schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. um, they have all these mental, major depression, and they don't know why. But one of the things they've done research on, obviously, with mental health is that when a baby is held by its mother or father, and there's that bond that brings the baby comfort. Mm -hmm. And the baby um, doesn't turn out to be, uh, you know, a mental patient no. later in life. So, Well, and that's just one aspect. You talk about we need, we need affection. Mm -hmm. We need to be affirmed. We need to be told we're loved. We need to be provided for. We need to be fed. We need all of these things. And there's so many things in this world with all the variations of people, all the variations of parenting, all the variations of just situations. Even parents that mean well mm -hmm. can still make a a mistake in, right. in one way or another. All of these things have the potential for the enemy to twist it and say, hey, you know how your parents both had to work full time? That's because you're not, they're, you're not worth their time. Yeah. It can twist that. Um, My parents work full time, so I understand that. Yeah, it, it, it comes to all these things. Mm -hmm. You can have parents with all the best intentions put all this pressure, get good grades, get mm -hmm. good grades. Mm -hmm. We want you to get the most out of life, get good grades, which is nothing wrong with that, but the enemy can twist that to where a person grows up, a child grows up and think, all I, I have to achieve, I have to achieve, I have to be my best. And then they translate that to the relationship with God, that if I'm not getting A's in life, if I'm not being a perfect individual, God wants nothing to do with me, or he disapproves of me, or he dislikes me. Right. I know God always loves me, but I don't think he likes me that much. That's the, that's the, these are the lies that we can believe in all of these different aspects. And that's why it's impossible to do and to handle all of those things, which is why we have to seek God for comfort in all of these things to introduce, to talk to God about our pains, not our problem. Okay, not stop. Not our sin. Because what we're going to do now, because we ran out of time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so everyone listen, we're going to do part two because we're going to hear about Matt's incredible story of getting back together with his wife and then pursuing to become a pastor. So we'll see you next time on Annie's Pink Chair. Hi friends, it's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. 
I'm Nikki. I'm the Education Outreach Coordinator. Um, I've seen girls come in here and just broken, just in need of something. And we give them a gift box when they first arrive, and then the look on their face, because their trafficker has taken everything from them, the look on their face is just amazing and precious. And just watching them grow in Christ throughout their journey here is incredible. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly? Or just send us a one-time donation. Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on Donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause. And it's tax deductible. Thank you so much.